Hello everyone, my name is uh, Mark Phillips uh, from MichiganSportsAndEntertainment.com. I'm here with uh, my friend Chris. Hello. And uh, my friend Mike. Say hi, Mike. Hello. This is uh, the first episode of our podcast, Massive Late Fee, where we talk about uh, entertainment news, uh, movies, reviews, anything uh, basically in the world of entertainment. Um we don't have a theme song yet or anything. If anyone out there is uh, musically inclined and wants to send us a theme song, you can send that to uh, uh, .com, uh and uh, I'll take a look at it. Uh, we're going to start with the news today. Um, James Gunn, uh, I'm sure you guys remember, uh, was uh, fired from Guardians of the Galaxy 3 for uh, some of his tweets. Um, Warner Brothers today has hired him to write the Suicide Squad 2 movie and uh, possibly direct it. Um, what, do, what do you think about uh, James Gunn taking his writing talents to Suicide Squad? He, he's such he's such a light-hearted, um, like kind of comedically styled writer. It seems an odd mix to me. Yeah, I, I mean. I, I kind of made the joke on Twitter. I, Alan Horn, who runs Disney, is the one who fired James Gunn. Mm -hmm. uh, Alan Horn used to be over at Warner Brothers, and I feel like this is Alan Horn calling his buddies at Warner Brothers and saying, let's punish James Gunn just a little bit more. Because <laughs> James Gunn's a talented guy, and you know, Suicide Squad was design, designed and marketed as a response to Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's like... You can't do Guardians 3, here's the leftovers. Um, <laughs> and I haven't seen Suicide Squad, but by all accounts, it's terrible. And I kind of feel bad for him, but maybe he can pull it out. What, what do you think, Mike, about James Gunn? Yeah, I haven't seen a Suicide Squad or Guardians of the Galaxy. So uh, I have no opinion, really. <laughs> I feel like... He's a very original filmmaker, and he can go dark. Mm -hmm. He did horror movies before he did Started Guardians. with uh, Tromeo and Juliet. Yeah. And, some, yeah. and I feel like if they do let him just go and do whatever he wants, he can do something cool with that. I just worry, is he, like, handcuffed to Jared Leto? And are they in the same universe? Because DC doesn't know what they're doing right now. And... Well, I think for sure Margot Robbie will be back. She was such a fan favorite from the first one. Um... I saw Suicide Squad. I guess I was the uh, the only one to pay penance here. <laughs> but uh, it was not great. Um, a lot of it was... And here's the other thing, too. Um, James Gunn, I know, got... You know, he, he had a lot of freedom um, with the Guardians movies to kind of do what he wanted, sort of like you were talking about. Um, Warner Brothers and the DC films were so controlling over the Suicide... Like, the biggest problem with the Suicide Squad movie is that it feels like three different movies because they had to reshoot and cut. And, and I mean, it's it's a Frankenstein of a movie for Absolutely. sure. And I, I don't know how he would react in that kind of an atmosphere um, because he does really have a, a very unique voice. So, I, I don't know. I think it's... Uh, It'll be interesting to say the least, um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know about that one. But uh, <clears throat> Rambo 5 is uh, 
under production now, and uh, it's got a title, um, Last Blood. Oh. Which I guess, I don't know, like, it seems to me like uh, that that's the next uh, blood test that, that, <laughs> <laughs> that Sylvester Stallone gets, his last blood. But, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, he was very good in Creed, um, mm-hmm. Sylvester Stallone. I, I thought he should have won the uh, the Supporting Actor Academy Award because he was just so mesmerizing on screen. Um, you know, but those movies, the Rocky movies and everything, you know, kind of gave him a start. He wrote, he wrote uh, I think, all of them. I know he wrote at least the first three. Um, and, uh, you know, those were kind of personal to him. He had something he wanted to say, I think, with Creed. Um, I wonder how successful he can be, especially at his age, with a, with this kind of an action franchise. <laughs> I liked I the... I not see that one either. Oh, you haven't seen Rambo? No. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I like... First Blood is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, two and three are kind of fun garbage. I like the last Rambo a lot that he did, uh, which I think was just called Rambo because it's the most mm-hmm. like irritatingly titled non-Fast and the Furious franchise. It's First Blood, <laughs> yeah, First Blood plat, or Rambo, First Blood Part Two, Rambo mm-hmm. Three, Rambo, and now Rambo Five: Last Blood. Yeah. Um, I you know I'm curious because Stallone kind of every few years does something where I'm like well that was actually good, but I think I also saw pictures of him online and like cowboy get up and stuff mm-hmm. and that is not Rambo to me. No, I know it's it's. <clears throat> I I think that some of these I mean it's kind of like with the Expendables too. Um, it's. It's really trying to hold on. I mean, I guess his dramatic career never really took off the way he necessarily wanted it mm. to. Uh, his comedic career didn't take off like he wanted it to, like his buddy Schwarzenegger's did for a time in the 80s. Uh, I don't know if either of you have seen the movie Oscar. Um, that, I have not seen Oscar. I have seen Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the previews for Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, and that's as far as I went. <laughs> But um, the last bit of news we have today is that um, now, Mike. I know you've seen this movie. Well, not not the one we're going to talk about, but I know you've seen uh, the first movie in this franchise because it's by your favorite uh, filmmaker, M. Night Shyamalan. Um, the new uh, Glass movie, uh, Bruce Willis's superhero, has a name now, and uh, it's going to be the Overseer, which is odd in a movie starring him as a white guy and uh samuel l jackson as a black guy (laughs) calling him the overseer (laughs) but what'd you say mike (laughs) yeah yeah it's a stretch for him um he wants to he wants to spread his wings but yeah, uh, I guess the overseer because he can see things when he touches people. Um, but uh, yeah, that that movie got a new teaser trailer today, where they that's kind of where they dubbed him the overseer, um, and uh, it looks well underway. 
Um, I thought un- I think Unbreakable is Shyamalan's best movie. Uh, I like it more than The Sixth Sense, and I, I like The Sixth Sense. Um, um, someone didn't see the happening. <laughs> <laughs> it's the trees, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, but I think Unbreakable is his best movie. I think it's his most coherent movie, um, and uh, I liked Split. You know, I thought it was okay. Um, I have, I have some decent hopes for uh, for this movie. James McAvoy's a great actor. Samuel L. Jackson's a great actor. Bruce Willis, when he can, <laughs> when when he cares, he's at least mediocre. Um, like what? Give me an example of him being at least mediocre. <laughs> uh, moonlighting. Hudson Hawk. <laughs> yeah, Hudson Hudson Hawk was strong. Uh, he did a lot of singing in that. You know, he's got a burgeoning singing career. Pulp Fiction, he was very good in. Yeah, that's true. He's good in Pulp Fiction, but he didn't talk that much, so that probably helps. He hasn't been awake for the last twenty years. Yeah, him and Harrison Ford have been taking a nap. Somewhere. Oh God, Harrison Ford. You know, uh, I don't. I'm sure neither of you have seen the Star Wars Holiday Special. But, I have. But there's there's a. There's a point in that movie where Carrie Fisher starts singing where you can see Harrison Ford just decide he's never going to try ever again in any role. He looks so depressed. You know what, though? I watched that an hour and a half of that last year for another podcast. I was that depressed. Oh. I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't have to be there, but uh, yeah, that, that, that's a whole other book therapy session great idea to uh to populate your movie entirely with wookies and not use subtitles at all (laughs) there's a lot that is uh kind of confusing in that i could go for hours on that one oh all right well that's the news today um i'm gonna move on to my uh recommendation of the week yeah real quick uh just a point about a break um I believe in that at one point there's a comic near the end that kind of has a depiction of Bruce Willis's character and they call him the Sentry. I don't know why they don't just carry that over. I think you're right. Character. Yeah, I I, I have I think I remember that too. That's a good idea. That makes it equal sense, and he just kind of like you know was on guard and like you know observing criminal behavior that sort of thing. I mean, it's just why wouldn't you use that? I don't understand. I mean, Shyamalan is such a genius. I can't believe that that slipped his mind. <laughs> but uh so my recommendation for the week is a uh fabulous little um british television show uh it's hard to find but if you really look hard uh you can find it without paying the shipping fees from from england uh it's called utopia uh mike i think you'd really like this one a lot too it's about a um a guy who who writes a comic book um, that like describes um, like experimentation. So I don't want to get into it too much because it's a, the the whole show is kind of a mystery of what uh, is going on. But he, he there's these devotees to this comic book, um, and someone gets happens to get their hands on a copy of a sequel from his first book because he wrote it when he was in a mental institution that um, that never got out. And this group of people, these two guys, start coming along 
trying to track down this book and basically killing everyone in their path. It's uh, it's violent. It's incredibly tense. It, it's uh, a very good show, uh, Utopia. So if you can find it, uh, I think they're going to do an American version of it for Netflix, which will probably be terrible. But um, if you can find it, I would uh, I would check it out. It's it's great. Is uh, there anybody in it that I would know? No, it's it's a bunch of uh, um, like working British actors, people that have been in like BBC BBC shows and stuff like that for the most part. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of uh, British accents, so I'll probably. Not. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> so now. We're going to move on to one of our regular segments called Guess the Plot. Today, Mike is playing. Um, this is where we take a movie that we haven't seen. Uh, there's a lot of options for Mike in this one. Um, and uh, the person tries to guess the plot. Now, Mike, I'm going to give you the name of the movie, the director, and the principal actors in the movie. And then... You need to guess the plot, and we'll see how close Mike gets to the actual plot. Um, I'll give you the year, too. Um, so today, we are doing 1997's Jungle to Jungle, directed by uh, the great John Pasquin. Um, it's a Disney movie starring Tim Allen, Martin Short, Lolita Davidovich. Uh, David Ogden Steers, the great David Ogden Steers from MASH, and uh, Joe Beth Williams. Oh, and uh, Sam Huntington is the kid. So, Mike, <clears throat> tell us what the plot of Jungle to Jungle is. See, I've seen the preview, so I have a, a little bit of a uh, way in with that. Um, let's see. For some reason, I thought Jonathan Taylor Thomas was in this movie, but I take it he's not. No. So I think he like. See, I don't know if he like. This is. I don't know if he like finds a child in the jungle or something like that. That's my guess. Or like he like I don't know falls off a plane or something. That sounds about right. Okay. Um, I have a feeling that uh, they learn from each other's experiences because uh, Tim Allen's probably heavily modernized and he has to unleash the inner primitive, which uh, he'll get from the Jungle Boy, if that's what they call him. Probably not. Uh, I have a feeling that at one point the kid takes him out of the woods and then he grunts a lot. This is Tim Allen. It's <laughs> um, a good guess. There's probably a, uh, a part at the end where uh, he realizes that um, modern man and uh, primitive man can coexist. And I'm guessing the kid plays a sport and is really good at it, like maybe football. I'd say you're pretty close. Um... Part of the reason that I picked this movie, or that we picked this movie, um, and I kind of wanted to do it this way, is um, I read the plot, because I haven't seen this movie either, but I read the plot on um, on Wikipedia, and I, I have to read this plot to you guys. <clears throat> okay. Whoever wrote this is, is a super fan of the movie Jungle to Jungle. The Wikipedia entry? Yeah. <laughs> So, Michael Cromwell, Tim Allen, is a self-absorbed, successful commodities broker living in New York City. So, the, the modern stuff, I think you're, you're right on with that. Wanting to marry his new fiancée, Charlotte, uh, Lolita Davidovich. 
He needs to obtain a final divorce from his first wife, Patricia Joe Beth Williams, who left him some years earlier. Patricia now lives with a semi-westernized tribe in Connemaria National Park, Venezuela. Michael travels there to get her signature on divorce papers, but upon arriving discovers that he has a 13-year-old son named Mimi Siku. Michael, it's... Yeah? Family name they passed on. Right. <laughs> Michael attempts to bond with Mimi Siku in his brief stay with the tribe and promises to take him to New York when he is a man. Michael is also given a new name, Baboon, as is a custom in the tribe. That night, Mimi Siku undergoes the traditional rite of passage of his tribe, who then considers him to be a man. Wait, wait, can, I, can I pause this for a second, real quick? Yeah. Baboon? Are there baboons in Venezuela? No. No. Okay. <laughs> I'll verify that. The tribal elder gives Mimi a special task. To become a tribal leader one day, Mimi must bring fire from the Statue of Liberty, and he looks forward to traveling with his father against his own protests. Michael brings Mimi Siku to New York with him. Michael works as a trader at the World Trade Center in Building 7. So, you know, pretty bad epilogue to this movie. Well, except I, I like, I like that whoever wrote the uh, Wikipedia entry made sure to know that they were they knew people were sensitive enough that you'd hit World Trade Center, and you'd be like, oh no, but then like, it was they knew enough to know it was Building Seven yep. that he worked in, and so the one no one was in. That's research too. That is because I'm yeah. sure that they don't mention in the movie. Oh yeah, I work in Building Seven. You know, he they they have to like they had to take the overhead shots and figure out which which building that was. Does that even make sense though? Was there trading done in Building Seven? I don't think so. I think uh, it was mostly a um, repository. Like a repository? Yeah, it was mostly like a repository for gold. I don't think there were a lot of offices in there. But yeah, you know, the rest you know, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Michael's fiance Charlotte is less than pleased about the unexpected visitor in a loincloth outfit who tries to urinate in front of her at a fake tree, as is usual in his tribe. Suggests eating her cat and Makadia, his enormous pet tarantula, escapes from his box and into her apartment. Whoever, like, like I'm saying, whoever wrote this is a huge fan. This is longer than most. Very detailed. I, I mean, it, it, it's, I think uh, the entry for uh, Lupus is less detailed than this. <laughs> I think you could have summarized Citizen Kane like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> right. Here's the thing, too. I have seen Jungle to Jungle. Um, oh, you have? Oh, yeah. And I think the description that was given where the kid falls from a plane and teaches Tim Allen to be a jungle man is a much better uh, better story than the actual movie. The movie is terrible. I, I don't remember much about it, but I remember it is real. It is probably the worst of the Tim Allen Disney movies, and that is, I mean, low. <laughs> oh, yeah. Here's my favorite part. <clears throat> so, it, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's really long. But um, uh, basically, uh, he falls in love with uh, the daughter of his dad's friend. And um, 
the the guy it's Mar- played by Martin Short and Martin Short has two kids a a daughter and a son it says Richard then freaks out when he sees his daughter and Mimi together in a hammock which by the way I can understand that because if you're in a hammock with someone you better be dating um and threatens to send her to an all-girls summer camp quote first dibs on Yukami's room says Karen's Weisenheimer brother Andrew they they thought enough to put a quote in and think up the adjective Weisenheimer yeah I, the, I think this Wikipedia entry was written in 1935 who wrote this that Weisenheimer Andrew <laughs> but Tim Allen shows a lot of moxie in bringing him back yeah, so eventually what happens is they he goes back to the tribe. I think he ends up getting back together with Joe Beth Williams, um, from what I remember. But that is guess the plot. I think Mike wins that round. That was pretty that was pretty close. Yeah, I think you had the main the main structure of the plot together there. You know what, that movie is so horrible and they made it twice. That is a remake of a French movie. Oh my god, it Little, is Yep, Little Indian Big City. Huge hit in France. They remade it. I can't believe they changed the title. <laughs> Little Indian Big City. Yep. That uh, that might be more offensive than the uh, Why is the Red Man Red song in Peter Pan. A little uh, side note, if I may. Um, my favorite thing to do with movies is to look at the IMDb parental advisory section. Yes. And uh, this one has uh, has some good stuff here, uh, if, you, if you indulge me for a bit. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> A man wishes for his tribal name to be he who is well endowed. <laughs> Lots of body crude humor. This one's the best. A man and woman kiss frequently. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Shield your children. Believe it or not, this also mentions the hammock. It does the hammock. Two teenagers fall asleep beside each other at a hammock. Oh my god. A woman is sleeping in a bed and the boy takes under her covers and he says, Nice poochie poochie. <laughs> a woman wears some low cut outfits. Can you see her ankles? Oh my god. Maybe the French version. <laughs> a little more lenient over there. Right? Okay. So our main topic today is something I know we've all seen. Uh, Better Call Saul. Um, this is the fourth season. Yes. Yeah, we just completed the fourth season. Um, I mean, I've I liked Breaking Bad a lot. I'm sure you guys liked Breaking Bad. Um, I uh, I liked Better Call Saul from the beginning for the most part. Um, I did find it a little slow to kind of get its footing but uh especially with the track record that vince gilligan had um i think everyone was pretty much willing to allow them to find their voice uh which i think they did um probably about halfway through the first season um you know i like i I find mike absolutely fascinating Mm -hmm. and bringing him farther along in the story i think really helps a lot um this season uh, is is a transition season, I think. Um, 
for uh, obviously for everybody, but uh, you know, especially for uh, Saul and Kim, um, you know, I think we we've really seen uh, sort of almost like the death of Jimmy McGill and the birth of Saul from the beginning of this season to the to the end of this season. Um, Mike, what uh, what did you think about like the season as as a whole and the and the finale in particular? I really like the season in general. I mean, I really like uh, Giancarlo Esposito being back, you know, in a more or less full-time basis. He's one of my favorite characters in the series and Breaking Bad and pretty much of all time. Um, I like the, the the whole subplot with the Germans was interesting, how they showed how they built out the uh, the underground lab. So mm-hmm. A lot of that is kind of confusing to me, like why they have, um, what's his name, Gale there? I don't understand. I'm sure they'll explain at some point, like, Gale's basically there from the get-go, but then they don't use them until, like, it you know, far later in Breaking Bad. Yeah, that's that's interesting to me too. Um, I feel like uh, what's happened is that Gus somehow got got him early. Because um, I know, like in Breaking Bad, they talk about um, the uh, scholarship and everything, like that um, that Gail got the scholarship. So I think. Um, yeah, in Better Call Saul too, they show him going to him like when he's working as like a grad student, and he's mm-hmm. asking him if he knows how to. He's just kind of like you know egging him along, not explicitly telling him to make something, but right. Like, oh, do you know how to make so and so and that sort of thing? Yeah, so I think um, I think what's going to end up happening is because they had to, unfortunately, um, you know, Mike had to, and and there's there's another thing too, transition for Mike this whole season. Mike started off the show not wanting to take even higher paying jobs, even to help his granddaughter because he didn't want to kill people because he didn't want to hurt people almost like put himself in danger, um, for, you know, uh, for Salamanca because he killed an innocent bystander. Um, and now in the final episode here, he's graduated to murdering this guy when he doesn't agree with it, one, uh, you know, uh, Werner, the, uh, the, the German engineer, um, and two, uh, when he doesn't agree with it and he doesn't want to do it, he likes the guy. Um, but he realizes that, that this is his place in this world. Um, so he kind of graduates a lot too, but what I think is going to happen with Gail is I think, um, that because they had to murder um, Werner and they're going to ship the rest of his crew back, I think it's going to be a while before that that is completed, that uh, the lab. And I don't think... Finishing touches. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say it. I don't, I don't think he wants to, uh, to do it until the lab's finished. Yeah, the, you know, and that's the other thing too. It looks pretty much complete. I know they did that blasting um, for the elevator shaft. They've got the... the um, the uh stairs there and everything but i think like maybe pouring the concrete or or getting like things finished off might take a while like they did say that they were you know they'd been working for a little over a year and they were like halfway done they they mentioned that a couple times i think the very last scene where they show them in the lab i'm thinking that's even a bit further beyond that i mean it's not explicitly right after they ship the germans back i don't think Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point I thought that was kind of interesting because the whole time with the Germans, I can't remember his name. Um, the one guy who was kind of like just like a, 
uh, a screw up, you know, of all times. Yeah. I, you keep yeah. thinking something. I mean, he kind of does mess up at the the strip club and that sort of thing. You keep thinking he's gonna be the one who, like, you know, you just kind of feel that Mike's gonna have to kill him at some point. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt that the, especially the last episode, but maybe even the whole season, it probably benefit, even though it's kind of a slow burn to begin with. If you add a couple more episodes, you might be able to make it a little better pace, in my opinion. Because the very last episode, like even from when like uh, you know um, Jimmy McGill turns into Saul, it's, it seems like very rushed to me at least at the end. It's like he's like kind of like, and he's like, oh, I, I mean, I know he was kind of building towards the Saul persona the whole time, but it's just like at the very end, it's like, okay, now I'm Saul. Yeah, yeah. I uh, when I saw it was only going to be ten episodes, I was I kind of had the same feeling that you did, um, where you know I was like, really, t- only ten episodes for the the whole season. Um, yeah, I can see that definitely they could have taken a little more time with, with certain aspects, especially with Jimmy, because, um, you know, there is so much that's devoted to Mike and uh, Fring and the Salamancas and stuff like that. Um, that guy, too, what's, do you, do you remember his name, Chris? Is it Tulo? The. Uh, the guy who was tailing Mike? Yeah. Lalo. Lalo. Yeah. You know, I, I recognize the name. He's still alive mm-hmm. when Breaking Bad starts. Um, I don't know what's gonna happen to him, but I know he's not I know he's not dead when Breaking Bad starts because in that episode where we see Saul, he says Lalo's name. You know, he's like, Oh, did Lalo send you Yep, and or, Nacho. Yeah. So those two are still around in some capacity. Yeah, so I don't know exactly what they're doing. I, I, you know, we know that Gus eventually wins the turf war with the Salamancas, so I'm not sure where they're at, if they're in a different district or, or if they're yeah, back in Mexico or what. That's not even until, like, the fifth season of, like, Breaking Bad where he ultimately wins, where he sends out, you know, they go and um, he goes to the pool and, like, they have the, you know, celebration and he basically finishes off mm-hmm. the cartel. That's not the Salamancas, it's Don... Don Elado, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but but I mean he's pretty firmly in charge of you know the distribution for the New Mexico area by the time Breaking Bad starts. Oh yeah, I think that's entirely him. Like I think he just gives them a cut. I mean I don't even know what the Salamancas will do to be honest with you. He just kinda lets them be their figureheads because Tuco Tuco? Yeah. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's just like, he's clearly, you know, just like a muscle kind of figurehead type person. Mm-hmm. He's not really like a brain yet anything. Yeah, and it just occurs to me too that Tuco is obviously is also around during Breaking Bad. So maybe they do still have some sort of like weird um, partnership or something like that. Um, I forget how long he's set to prison. Is it 18 months or something like that? Because he's probably going to be getting out pretty soon. Yeah, I don't remember. You know, I should have gone back and and uh, yeah, right and visited that episode because um, I think that was like two seasons ago, right? When that happened. Yeah, yeah, I think it was second season. Um, yeah, I don't remember how long they said, but yeah, they because they have they've you know, and that was the other thing too, kind of like what you're talking about with the only ten episodes thing. Um, all of a sudden, we jump ahead a year in in, uh, in the space of you know in in the from one episode to the other. Um, and it did, that did feel like very rushed. I would have liked to have seen, uh, Jimmy build up a little more of, you know, selling the cell phones on the street, kind of, you know, getting in with Huel, um, maybe bring Bill Burr back. Um, 
you know, a couple of the other uh, people that, that he associated with, or maybe even some people that kind of like didn't work out that he tried out as assistants um, and, and have him build up the rapport with, uh, you know, the street people of New Mexico. Yeah. But then you wouldn't get that awesome, the uh, montage at the beginning of, I think two episodes ago with him and Kim and slowly drifting apart. That's true. Like, that might be my favorite part of the whole season. That is true. That, that, you know, the way that Vince Gilligan and the directors and the writers, um, build scenes mm-hmm. and they build like moments and stuff. It's even, even little things like, um, the boardroom scene in the last, um, episode where the kids start to come in, they say their names they start saying, uh, you know, what they, they start answering the questions, and then we cut immediately to the next one. It it drives in like the monotony, and like just you know of Jimmy sitting there just listening to person after person mm-hmm. after person coming in, and the way they do that is is absolutely brilliant. I really felt. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, please. Uh, I really felt like. This season, just it may, aside from Kim and not knowing where she ends up, the season finale could have easily been a series finale for the show. Mm-hmm. Because you get to the point where, like you said, now Mike is kind of the Mike we knew on Breaking Bad. He's not just, you know, a security guy. He's a killer. And Jimmy seems to be totally comfortable with being Saul. And so we don't know what happens to Kim. I'm kind of terrified to know what happens to Kim. Mm -hmm. But I thought, I didn't think that last minute was rushed, uh, where he suddenly goes from that very tearful testimony to kind of, hey, did you see the suckers? They bought it. I loved how quickly that happened because I felt just as stunned as Kim did. Mm -hmm. Like, I really, I had bought it. And then you see, oh no, he was conning them, but... The worst thing is he was conning her too, and yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff. Going on. Like I think when he goes on the stand, she's like, "Oh, you know, whatever it takes." So he thinks she's basically giving him permission to just outright lie, mm-hmm. and, you know, see what it takes. But he, you know, she doesn't mean that explicitly. He just interprets it like, "Oh, you're on my team. We're doing it," you know, the scammy way. Yep. Yeah, and she keeps kind of going back and forth between being comfortable with him and his methods. And, you know, being uncomfortable with him and his methods. But I, I think, uh, like Chris was saying, I think that she kind of saw the depths that he can go to and, you know, stuff that she can't even recognize. I think, unfortunately, a lot of it um, was not... I mean, he was always a scam artist, but I think a lot of it was, cal- you know, he became calloused over time uh, to, to this stuff. Um but, uh, you know, one of the things I think is really interesting and kind of shows the level of detail that they that they take in the show, that Vince Gilligan and, and his team t- take in the show, is, um, you know, I've, I've noticed a lot of the color palettes in the show. Um, you know, this isn't my original theory. I, like, when Breaking Bad was on, I read a lot about, um, you know, what colors people wore and mm-hmm. kind of what it represented and everything. So I kind of made sure to look out for it because I figured they'd do the same thing here. And, you know, Kim is almost always in blue, uh, you know, a blue suit or a blue a blue uh, top, something like that, um, almost always in that color. Except I noticed uh, very pointedly uh, in the last episode, 
she was wearing red when she was helping Jimmy set up his testimony huh. for the board. And it seems like the the more towards red of the spectrum that you go, the more like in trouble you are, the more like criminal type stuff is. Jimmy wears red a lot. Um, the one time that he wore blue that I remember was when the police officer assaulted or, you know, like was harassing mm-hmm. him and then like punched Huel and stuff. And he was in this blue jumper and it's like, he was kind of in the right in that situation. So it's, it's, um, I find it interesting. It sort of shows, it kind of tips their hand a little bit as to where things are going to go and who, you know, who's where. Um, so I don't think that Kim is going to go with, Jimmy like I don't think that she's just off camera for Breaking Bad I don't think she's going to be part of you know the type of law that he wants to practice at all um I mean partially based on on them kind of giving us these clues with with what she's wearing I think she's going to stay good where that ends her up I I don't know I don't know if she's going to I mean obviously I don't think they're going to stay together um I don't know if she's going to move away I don't know if she's going to get killed. You know, I don't know what's going to, what's going to happen, but, uh, I am, that is the, that's one thing that really drives me to, uh, to, cause like Chris said, it's, uh, things are kind of like sort of in place at this point, but, but figuring out what, what happens with Kim really drives me to, um, to want to see the next season and, and see where we go. Interestingly, there was a few weeks ago, they did that really great opening, that was taking place during the Breaking Bad timeline. Mm-hmm. I think it was probably like right after everything in Ozymandias. Yeah. And, you know, Jimmy's cleaning out his, Saul is cleaning out his office and he gives his secretary a card. And there's a little bit of debate. Does he say, you know, here's my lawyer, give him a call or give them a call? And there's some speculation. Could that be Kim helping him out from miles away or something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah, that's. That's definitely interesting too. Yeah, the, and I, you know, obviously we can't put it past them uh, because I think those those flashback and flash forward, um, you know, little vignettes, as we saw in Breaking Bad, those are huge as far mm-hmm. as you know, um, not only setting up motivations and uh, you know, kind of atmosphere stuff, sort of like they did in in the last episode. But um, like a lot of things as far as where the plot's going are, can be pieced together there. One, for one thing, what we know is that Vince Gilligan knows exactly where it's, he's going. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, he's definitely proved that out with those things. Um, I think the, the flashback was, you know, in the last episode was particularly heartbreaking. Oh, I was getting choked up, yeah. Because, you know, like you see... A relationship that could have been, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, had had this animosity not built up, you know. I, I know Chuck at one point said that he never really cared for Jimmy and stuff. I I question that based on act that his actions in several different instances. I think maybe he didn't want to care about him because it hurts so much to be disappointed all the time. Um, but uh, but I think he did deep down somewhere. I think so too. What do you think, Mike? Anything else to say about uh, the the season? I think the whole letter that uh, Chuck wrote is kind of interesting because I feel that he wrote it knowing that it would be read aloud at some point so other people could see he could put his thoughts in order and make it sound as if he had a better relationship than he did. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, 
Because that letter that yeah, I hadn't thought about that that he would think about it being read out loud because that letter has always confused me, um, given some of the stuff that he said towards the end of his life, and then you know it starts out. Well, obviously we haven't heard. I, I don't think we've heard the entirety of the letter, but uh, you know the beginning stuff that we've heard um, is all very like complimentary and stuff like that. So yeah, I wonder. And Jimmy obviously uh, at the beginning felt that it would be okay to read it out loud and that it would be dispositive of him, you know, being um, able to uh, rejoin the bar. So I don't think, you know, obviously the entirety of the letter can't be negative. So that always confused me. Yeah, there's speculation as well, I think, that that, that Kim could have wrote the letter. She could have switched it out. I don't know if it's handwritten or typed. Hmm. Could have worked on extremely positive, or Chuck could have actually wrote a scathing letter. That's a good. That's a good theory too. I think Chuck also. It's kind of assumed. I don't think that was like a suicide letter, but it was written maybe even years before Chuck died. And yeah, he was definitely the type who had everything in order. Years. Yeah, before. yeah. He just had it on file. You know, in the events of his death. But obviously, he would write it, wanting it to sound good because Chuck was all about appearances. For sure. Um, going back to the whole Mike thing, I, the whole when he kills uh, the Werner guy out in the uh, desert, which was of course amazing looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I think the whole thing with Mike is that he just has a code. I mean, if you watch him, he always you know later in Breaking Bad he doesn't go for extra money when he has to pay all these guys off that he promised he wouldn't that sort of thing. So I think the fact that he took Gus's money and he knows that he's in this employee and that he's basically sworn that he would do a certain thing for him. I mean, he, in, in a lot of ways, he actually made it less uh, damaging because it was up to uh, Mike to make sure that uh, Werner's wife wasn't tracked by the, you know, Gus's people because I think we know how that would have resulted. It would have been two people dead, one definitely innocent. Yeah, I think I think that's part of the reason why Mike did it, why Mike was the one to kill him because he knew Gus was sending people. He knew if Gus sent people there, it would be out of his hands and then he wouldn't be able to help, you know, Warner get his wife, you know, back on a plane to Germany and everything. Um, and like you said, she'd be dead too. I think too he felt responsible because it was ultimately his fault that Warner did mm-hmm. escape. That he kind mm-hmm. of like gave him like you know this extra outlet to talk to his wife more, and he gave him a little bit of liberty and that sort of thing. And he probably does feel that it's his fault that he, you know, and the guy at the um, check cashing place was probably killed. I mean, you just see him laying on the ground. I could only assume he was, you know, shot to death. That was the one scene that really confused me because I was like, I mean, I guess the door's locked, you know, obviously because in places like that, the doors are locked. So that was the only way that he could get, you know, back there and everything. But it was just such a weird thing to climb up into that thing. Um, I didn't care for that myself because, first of all, his weight, I don't think he would have been supported by those, you know, styrofoam ceiling tiles. Right how he got up there in the first place. It's like a good, like 10 feet high. Yeah. I think it would have just been better for him to like, you know, when the guy looks back that he's, you know, it, either through the slot or something like that, he's got a gun on him, you know, and tells him to open the door or something like that. It, that, that, that part seemed more cartoony to me than better call Saul or breaking bad usually is. Yeah. It was a yeah. scene that was meant to look 
badass, and that's not what Better Call Saul usually does. Right. Yeah, there's a part like that in Breaking Bad too, when um he goes into Tuco's like uh, stronghold and he has those crystals. Mm-hmm. I mean that I actually stopped watching Breaking Bad when I first saw that scene. It's just so implausible. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'll I'll give it another shot because you know that's I can just put that you know suspend disbelief for that one part, and then pretty much everything else in the series was believable. But I mean, just I mean I understand that you have to you know I mean you're trying to make something look cool or you know there's like some neat little novelty to the way you kill someone or threaten them or something but this I, I know that kind of took me out of it for a bit yeah I agree um I definitely agree with that especially as grounded as they were um in that first season and the beginning of that that second season you know, when they start uh dealing with uh you know like right before they start dealing with Tuco and stuff like that um you know that scene uh where he's putting the plate back together and he realizes that that guy's got, uh, who, who appears obviously several times in better call saw. Um, but he's got that, you know, like the tension of that and the grounding of that, like how real that is and you know, how real his reaction is to that. I I agree. Um, that's kind of, to me, what makes the shows, uh, the episodes really, really good. And I, I don't, I don't love when they kind of, you know, go go beyond that, but you know, I mean, they're not perfect, and they they do mostly get it right. Yeah, and I think they're really a big problem. There's just so many like interesting characters that are well written and well acted. It's just like you can't give enough time to. I mean, you could have like a separate series for almost any of the characters in mm-hmm. the show. For sure. Like you could do a whole spinoff of Mike. You could do a whole spinoff of uh, Nacho, Gus. Obviously, I mean. It's just there's not enough time, which is again why I think that you maybe have a few more episodes if possible. Yeah. Because I mean, you could expand on it. You could have any of those characters have an entire episode to themselves, and you wouldn't be missing anything. I mean, fuel even, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. I like Nacho is one of the most interesting characters to me that doesn't get a ton of screen time. Um, but yeah, the uh, the inner turmoil that that he obviously is facing. Um, with, uh, you know, the life that he's chosen. And, I mean, he really does not seem cut out for for this life. I mean, obviously, he's, you know, at least semi-successful at it. But um, you can see that it really weighs on him a lot. And, um, and yeah, I, th- I, like, I think his character is, is incredibly fascinating. Yeah, I really like him. I kind of wish he had shown up at all in the finale. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they're playing a long game with him. He will, uh, he, there'll yeah, be... Thing, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I, I was pretty much finished. Yeah, another thing I thought was kind of interesting was when he goes to visit his dad at one point, if you look outside, there's a Winnebago. <laughs> like an RV. I wonder if that's the same RV that's for Breaking Bad, but like oh. I wonder if maybe Combo might be a relative of him. Oh, yeah, I never... I, I didn't even see that, but that, uh... Yeah, you know, I, know, I could... I could I mean, Combo, Nacho, they're kind of similar names. I mean, it could be like his cousin, because I think it's Combo's aunt's Winnebago, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think, well, I think it's his mom's. I think it's his mom's, but, um, but yeah, like, uh, you know, that, like, Nacho's dad and Combo's mom could, I think, easily be brother and sister. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting, too. I, I, I hadn't thought about that. I never thought about that. I would, I would, I would not put it past them to to put something like that uh, in there. They they drop stuff like that all the time. I mean, I really, I thought the whole season was pretty good. Um, 
I mean, it just keeps getting better. I mean, it's kind of, the timeline is interesting too, because I think it's at the point where it's about three or four years before uh, Breaking Bad starts up. Because they showed the year was like 2003 at one point. Mm-hmm. I think Breaking Bad started in 2005. I think you're right, yes. Right. Could have been later, but I don't remember. I know they did like a kind of fast season at the end there, but yeah, it's, I mean, it seems kind of like, again, a lot to put in between. Pardon me, this series and the next one, I mean, is he really going to be that, like, entrenched into, like, the criminal community in four years? But, I mean, if you look at, like, his office, uh, Saul's, most of the people, he's, he's got a really full office. I mean, he's not entirely a criminal lawyer, or he calls it a lawyer. I can't remember how he says it, but he's not entirely in the criminal practice. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, if you look at his office, there's a lot of people with uh, um, neck braces on, a lot of people coughing and stuff like that. So yeah, he definitely seems like he's um, he does some civil work too, which is weird and interesting because usually you know you you specialize in in civil cases or criminal cases, but yeah, it looks like he uh, he's kind of a jack of all trades for sure. Yeah, I, think it's probably, I think he has like a whole like box full of like neck braces at one point because mm-hmm. one of those clients he like hands my neck brace. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he probably just, whatever the quick buck is, and I'm sure the criminal, you know, enterprise is rather lucrative, as dangerous as it is. Yeah, maybe what maybe what he does is he does, like, uh, civil law as far as, like, personal injury and stuff like that, and he's just kind of on retainer for Gus or, or the Salamancas or any of the criminal people in the area that might have a need for him to, you know, do try his hand at criminal law to, you know... To get them off, I, I don't know. Yeah, and I don't—I could be completely wrong on this. I don't think he's ever interacted explicitly with Gus yet. No. I mean, obviously he's worked with Mike, and he knows Mike, but uh, kind of interesting that they haven't even crossed paths directly yet. Yeah, and Gus, Gus definitely knows who he is because at one point in, in Break—I mean, when Breaking Bad starts, anyway. Because at one point, I think uh, I can't remember what episode it is, but I know Mike's on the phone with Gus, and he says. Uh, you know, should the lawyer know, you know, and, uh, and Gus says no, you know, um, yeah, so know. he so, knows so who he is. the one who, who connects him with Gus, actually, in Breaking Bad. He's like, oh, you have to go to this, you know, this place and sit around and the guy, this guy will come and talk to you. Yeah, that's right. He says he doesn't know what he looks like or, or kind of like who he is, but he knows. So I, I assume that he knew from Mike. But yeah, so that's uh, that is Better Call Saul. I think we all enjoyed it. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I agree with Mike. I think it, I think it just keeps getting better. Um, you know, I look forward to what they're gonna do uh, next season. Um, so the last thing that we have tonight is just kind of a little uh, fun thing that I thought we could do. Um, it's called Reboot Pitch. So it's where I'm going to need your guys' help with this. I'm going to throw out uh, my idea for a reboot that I think absolutely should be made by Hollywood. And we'll see if we can build a, uh, a workable plot around this. And then, uh, you know, Hollywood can pick it up and run with it. So I think that they should reboot, I believe, the 1984, I think, film Revenge of the Nerds. But what you do is... You make it a sorority, so now all the nerds are, are females, and all the uh, the evil jocks are are cheerleaders or or, or something like that. Um, that'll be a way to get around the uh, 
you know, horrific sex crimes <laughs> that are committed say, the in the original. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny what does not age well. <clears throat> but or what we thought was acceptable at some point. But uh yeah, so the I think, you know, we could uh the plot could be structured very similarly. Uh we could get Paul Feig to direct it. Um I think uh who who doesn't look, you know, uh like who looks young enough in Hollywood that they could uh they could do this. Oh gosh. Is is uh, Emma Stone uh, I feel like Emma Stone's a little past the age. Right? Where she um, couldn't be a, a, a teenager. I feel like Selena Gomez always looks like she's There you 15. go. Selena Gomez, star of the Revenge of the Nerds reboot. So, Hollywood, if you're listening, you have to do this all-female Revenge of the Nerd reboot. I don't know that you could uh, really see her as a nerd, though, unless you, you know you uh, put glasses on her. Yeah, glasses and a ponytail, Mike. That's all it takes. I have a little bit of a different take on this, if uh, you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. All right, I don't. You wouldn't be able to do this now because the actor is far too old, unfortunately. But how about a movie called Stan the Man? Chronicles the life and times of uh, a gentleman by the name Stan, head of the Alpha Beta fraternity. He has his whole life going for him; everything's uh, going great until some nerds come in and start to disrupt everything. <laughs> okay, so so we take it from the point of view of the jock as the protagonist. Exactly. Okay. Some guy rapes his girlfriend and steals her. <laughs> <laughs> it's a gritty. It's a gritty drama <coughs> about. Like, oh, we like this guy now. He gave a big speech. And <laughs> fireworks. Oh my god. They played a they played a violin that was electrified. Oh. Even Michael Jackson these days isn't as uh, in favor as he once was. Right. <laughs> and his music was better than theirs. Starring America's sweetheart, Ted McGinley. That's right. Ted McGinley as the hero that everyone needs. You're right. His girlfriend's raped. You know, uh, his uh, his friend's privacy is invaded. His poor friend Ogre with a learning disability yeah. is uh, mocked yeah. endlessly. And some uh, some guy who picks his own nose, uh, you know, just embarrasses him at the uh, fraternity Olympic Games. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, Ogre is suffering from uh, CTE from all the concussions he got playing football. Yep, and John Goodman just doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> See, I had another idea, too, with this. Because <laughs> okay. um, my thought is, it's kind of weird because you couldn't really remake Revenge of the Nerds for the fact that it's kind of cool to be a nerd now. Like, the power structures change. Mm-hmm. So maybe you do it, all of their kids are at college, and they're getting along great, whether they're nerds or jocks or whatever. But it's a reunion. And so you have the nerds from the first movie, the jocks from the first movie, all at college for the weekend, for a reunion. Um, the nerds have all done really well for themselves, and they're famous and just very successful, and all the jocks are just, you know, slinging fries and things like that. And so the jocks decide they're going to get back at the nerds because it's their one chance to relive their glory days. And the kids think this is stupid, but eventually get dragged into it. And That way you, uh, you get the audience the first one by bringing back Anthony Edwards because everyone misses him on the screen. And uh, 
open it up for a whole new generation without being too rapey. I could see that. Just a little. <laughs> Just a little rapey. <laughs> you have to get the uh, the 17 to 21-year-old demographic. Yeah, or, or even the nerds come back themselves and since the uh, environment's changed so much, like, oh my God, this is what college is these days? <laughs> We said saw security cameras in uh, women's uh, dormitories. Yeah, they're uh, they're like uh, the uh, I don't know what what are the anti-social justice warriors called? <laughs> they're the politically incorrect crew. I feel like what you just described was um, a Simpsons episode, the one where Homer goes back to school and is oh, like, yeah. "Why aren't you guys getting the dean?" And... <laughs> yeah, or uh, or it could be they put a uh, Louis Skolnick on trial for all his uh, crimes. <laughs> Louis Skolnick is going to become a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> and, and it's a, it's like a Norma Ray drama. They call all the uh, jocks to the stand. Oh my God. Did you like beer in high school, Mr. Skolnick? <laughs> Sir, Louis Skolnick would smoke wonder joints. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I think we got it. I think we got the movie. So Hollywood, if you're listening, that's it. Oh, <clears throat> well, thank you uh, everyone for listening. Um, obviously, uh, visit uh, MichiganSportsAndEntertainment.com for uh, all your entertainment needs. Um, you can find us at uh, on Twitter at at MichSportsEnt, M-I-C-H Sports E-N-T. Um, you can find our entertainment page at Movies TV Music. Um, obviously, uh, um, Facebook, uh, Michigan Sports and Entertainment. Uh, you guys want to uh, plug anything? You have any Twitter or Facebook you want to plug? Yeah, I, uh, I'm on Twitter at Mere Christianity. Um, you can follow me there. I have a Facebook page under the same name. Um, yeah, that's the best place to find me. Yeah, I can't give up my Twitter. I'm uh, trolling 97 won the ticket for years now. <laughs> okay, so Mike is going to remain anonymous. Um, you can see uh, decals of him uh, all over, uh, uh, where is it, Madison Heights and uh, and Sterling Heights. That's very weird. Uh, my wife actually found the guy who had it on his car, and apparently it's his son who looks just like me, and he just makes decals himself. It's so weird. We used to walk around and we would find these these decals just stuck all over town of uh, this person that looked exactly like Mike. myself, they couldn't have looked more like me. Oh, okay. So that's our show. Uh, you know, our first episode. Come back next week for uh, for more uh, fun and frivolity. Um, and uh, yeah, I, that's uh, that's about it. Have a good night, everyone.